I must stop enthusing and emoting about the Chinese church. Uh, Daniel. So we're in Daniel, okay? And this morning, oh, sorry, this evening, um, this afternoon, we're not, really, we're, um, we're not really plunging into the text of the Bible, okay? We're going to do that next week, and we'll do that in subsequent weeks. But for this week, we are asking basic questions about why we're doing this in the first place. Um, it's quite common over the past 13 years of, of um, the time I've been in Christian ministry. I've been in Christian ministry for a long time now, um, nearly 30 years. But over the past 13 years, often people have said to me, why don't people preach more from the Old Testament? Yeah? Why don't people preach more from the Old Testament? And um, I think it's a very, very good question. I think one of the reasons is, when you have one service a week, uh, one sermon a week, um, it's very difficult to say, well, all our preaching for the next N months is going to come from the Old Testament. When there are more services and when people are hearing uh, in the morning and the evening or the morning and the afternoon or in the morning and the week or whatever, I think it's easier to preach the Old Testament. But when there's only one sermon a week, I think it's quite difficult to take that from the Old Testament. And I think sometimes as well, we feel as Christians, I don't mean pastors or preachers, I think we feel that the Old Testament is a very big book and we're not sure how to approach it. Should we preach from history? Uh, We take psalms. It's quite easy to preach from a psalm. Should we launch into Isaiah? Isaiah is a really big book. 66 chapters of Isaiah. One chapter a week, it would take you over a year. Uh, Should we deal with Genesis? I think quite often in Bible studies, we do the beginning of Genesis, don't we? We do the life of Abraham, perhaps, life of um, Joseph. Uh, And so it can be quite difficult to know what to do. Well, we were talking about this, and we thought, yeah, um, it would be so good to preach from the Old Testament, and also to show how from the Old Testament we can see the Lord Jesus Christ, because the whole Bible speaks to us of Jesus. So, over the next um, something like three months, we're going to be going through Daniel. We're going to be going through it one chapter a week. And you might ask the question, well, well, why listen to Daniel? Why listen to what Daniel has to say to us? After all, Daniel was composed. Uh, he lived uh, in exile. His ministry was from about 605 B.C. to 536 B.C. Now, I worked out earlier how long that was that he was in exile as a, uh, uh, in ministry. And it comes to about 71 years, I think or 69 years, around 70 years, something like that. Um, That's a long ministry, isn't it? That's a long service. Uh, He grew to be an old man while he was serving God, and he served God in Israel, Uh, uh, sorry, in Israel, in exile. And uh, there he is then, almost 70 years of exile. He served under four different kings or emperors. We have Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, unhelpfully spelt in different ways in different translations. 
Some of them put it like that. Some of them put it another way. If you have an English translation, uh, it's Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he served under Belshazzar, who is Belthazar in, um, in the Bible I looked at. Uh, he served under Cyrus, and he served under Darius the Mede. Darius the Mede. No one knows who Darius the Mede was. Because the, the only record of Darius the Mede is found in the book of Daniel. So we're not sure yet who he was. Doubtless one day we'll find out. So he served under four kings. That's going to be relevant to something I say later on, okay? He served under four kings. But what relevance has he got for us? Why look at Daniel? What can Daniel teach us? Well, okay. Um, the first thing that Daniel teaches us is this. Um, people follow patterns. People follow patterns. Somebody said, what we learn from history is that in the end we learn nothing from history. Yeah? History teaches us that history teaches us nothing. Um, and we can see that in the days that we live in today. Uh, we are repeating uh, the same kind of errors and the same kind of problems that we've done in the past. And uh, it seems that that is just the way it is. Uh, and in Daniel, we can see cycles set up. If you look on the back of your leaflet, it's not wonderfully printed, okay? It's because it's an inkjet printer and it's printing on cheap paper. Um, but I'll put this picture on the Bordeaux Church, um, either the group or the page, probably the group for this. And you can find it quite easily anyway. And you will see that Daniel uh, talks about, in different ways, cycles. If you look, you've got each box represents a chapter. You've got chapter one on the left-hand side. It's kind of an introductory thing. And then chapter two starts at the top, two, three, four. And then from the bottom, five, six, seven. Yeah? So you go down and then back up. And then you curve downwards for eight to the end. And what the uh, people who've drawn this table for us are trying to show us is that Daniel is showing us how history repeats itself. It repeated itself in his life, and it repeats itself in the history of the world. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that history is one big cycle. No. The world has a beginning. The world has a, a story that unfolds, and the world will have an end. God began this world and God will come and put an end to this world and bring in his glorious, renewed, uh, everlasting creation. But in the meantime, there is a, a line of history. There's a story that's being unfolded. But within that story, there are cycles that we see over and over and over again. And uh, here is the cycle that um, Daniel shows to us. Uh, people of power. And the problem with power is that it tends to give you a feeling of pride. That you deserve power. That you merit power. That you are good enough to use and wield power. And that leads you to being the opposite of human. Uh, to being inhuman. And uh, we, we'll see that really graphically in uh, one story in Daniel, where literally a king begins to behave not just in a bestial way, but he behaves like an animal. 
he becomes like an animal. He lives like an animal. Uh, and so we have this cycle of uh, power to pride to inhumanity or to bestiality. And then we have a collapse, a collapse. The king is removed and another king or empire comes in its place. These cycles in history occur and we see them in the book of Daniel. For Daniel, he is a man then who is caught up in that. Just like we are caught up in the history of our countries. Yeah? Uh, we live our little quiet lives. But in the meantime, uh, we're involved in the things that happen in France. We're involved in the things that happen in our home countries. And as the cycles unfold, so we are caught up in that as well. Daniel was taken into exile as a young man. Uh, he must have been probably younger than anyone in this room. We're looking at someone uh, in his late teens, probably. And he's carried off far from home, far from his own culture, into a culture that is really, really different. I wonder, you know, um, a lot of us have kind of done something similar, haven't we? A lot of us have traveled thousands of miles. We've come to, uh, to live in a city, in a country that is not our own. But when we get here, we walk down Sainte Catherine, and okay, there are shops that um, we don't recognize. Camayu. I don't think there's a Camayu in Britain. There's certainly not a Camayu in the United States, as far as I know. But there's also H&M. H&M is everywhere, isn't it? Uh, we have Carrefour. But there are other shops like Hema and um, like Starbucks. And sorry, I shouldn't pronounce it like that, should I? I should find a better way of saying that. Um, McDonald's. Uh, that are just, you find them everywhere. Um, the corner of St. Catherine now in Victor Hugo is quite funny because we have uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, we have Burger King, we have Starbucks, and we have Le Café des Arts. <laughs> Holding out, you know, like Asterix you know, on the corner of uh, Victor Hugo. Um, for us, it's really difficult to enter into what Daniel experienced. Because for us, wherever we go, people dress the same. People live more or less the same. People buy the same clothes. People shop in the same shops. People eat similar things sometimes. Uh, but for Daniel, it was a real shock. Because there was no nation on earth that was like Israel. And to be carried from Israel into exile in Babylon was a huge, huge shock. That's why, I don't know whether you picked it up, but in the reading, we're told in the English translation that, um, that Daniel was carried off to Babylon. Uh, look at verse, yeah, verse 2. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Verse 2 in French is quite different, isn't it? Le Seigneur livra entre ses mains Joachim, le roi de Juda, une partie des ustensiles de la maison de Dieu. Nebuchadnezzar emporta les ustensiles dans le pays de 
Shinear, Shinear. Dans le temple de son Dieu, il est mis dans la maison du trésor de son Dieu. Why that difference? I'll tell you why the difference is, and some of you will, will have figured it out. It's because Babylon is the continuation of Babel. Babel built in the plain of Sinai. Yeah? Babel built in the plain of Shinar. And uh, Daniel wants to point out to us where he's being taken. He's being taken from the land of, uh, of uh, understanding, the land where people know God and they know how this world functions. They know who they are and what they're there for. And he's taken to the land of confusion, to the land of Babylon, where there are many gods who are not gods at all. And when nobody understands, it's the land of chaos and confusion. He's taken to Sinai, to Babel, to the land of Babylon. And so for Daniel, his exile is much more profound than anything that we have ever known. Yeah? It's much, much bigger. Daniel there is going to live through various crises. And they're really exciting uh, crises. On the event um, banner, we have a lion. And I really enjoyed putting a lion on the event banner. But next week, we're going to have flames. Uh, because Daniel and his uh, friends uh, see crises in their lives that come about because they're in exile. But despite it all, and I don't know whether this is good French, but I decided I would put it anyway. Who, I don't even know how to look this up. Uh, but Daniel survives. And these um, psychopathic autocrats, yeah, the, the despots, the tyrants, they die one after the other. But Daniel lives on. Yeah? And so uh, we can see two things from that. Firstly, and this, this is something we all need to take to heart. Don't idolize our nations. You know, the nations that we come from, we don't come from Israel. We don't come from the land of faith. We come from the land of confusion. Our lands are confused for each one of us. And so for us to idolize our nations is a foolish, foolish thing. All nations are subject to this. We are all prone to have to do this. In Britain, uh, we used to talk about young men going into the army and they would swear, my country, right or wrong. I will obey my country, whatever my country tells me to do. Terrible thing, isn't it? To expect that of people. My country, right or wrong. It's a terrible thing. Um, France uh, expresses it in different ways. Uh, there are such things as, I've never seen one, uh, or know anyone who's done one, but there's such a thing as a Republican baptism, where you can take your child to the mairie and have a ceremony. Uh, your child uh, becomes a son of the French Republic in some kind of way. Um, France is not a religion, is it? France cannot take the place of God. None of our nations can. And so to idolize our nations is, is a terrible thing. Especially when we consider that our nations are no more humane than Babylon. We look at uh, the ancient empires and their terrible modes of warfare. You'll, you, you can see pictures of people being taken into exile with hooks under their 
under their chins. They would hook them like, like animals and drag them along into exile. Uh, we nowadays wouldn't do that to an animal. We say, how inhumane. But we are the nations that use chemical weapons or that uh, drop landmines, that um, make the land dangerous for, for, for decades to come and generations to come. We are the people who have used nuclear weapons, who have firebombed cities into absolute destruction. That's our nations. And so we can't look down on Babylon and say how inhuman when our nations are inhuman too. Our generation is the generation that has decided in some nations to wipe out everyone who has Down's syndrome. Nobody who is trisomique deserves to live, deserves to be born in some nations. And so all trisomic children are to be killed before they're born. And this is the 21st century. Uh, it's inhumane. Uh, the nations of the world are like that. So we mustn't idolize our nations. It's a, a foolish thing to do. But also, we mustn't give way to fear or to despair. Daniel outlives all these tyrants. He outlives all these despots. He's thrown to the lions. He survives. The kings fall. And God is able to make us stand too. Daniel has nothing special that we don't have. He has God with him. That's what he has. He has God with him. And we also have God with us. The Lord Jesus Christ is our stronghold. We can lean on him. We can find in him the strength that we need day by day. He will sustain us. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it does mean it's going to be possible. And so Daniel survives. Okay? That's the first thing then. People follow patterns. And these patterns are helpful for us because we live in those patterns too. Second thing that uh, Daniel's going to teach us as we go through it is that God's plan, well, I've got in my notes, God's plan is good, uh, but God's plan holds firm. God's plan holds good. Uh, you could put it whatever you like, uh, really. Uh, Daniel goes into exile, and um, the uh, Jerusalem falls into the hands of the Babylonians, okay? They, they pillage the temple, and they take the cream of the, uh, of the youth off to serve them. And it looks like the end for the nation. It's not actually the end for the nation. The end for the nation, uh, in terms of exile, will come in a, a few years' time. But it looks like it's the end for the nation of Israel. But it's not. Daniel chapter 9. You find Daniel uh, does some maths, some sums. He sees that uh, there's a certain period of time that is uh, given for Israel to be in exile, for Judah to be in exile. And so uh, Daniel prays. He says, God, you know, um, here is the time allotted and we're coming to the end of the time. Surely now it's the end of the exile. And Daniel gets the reply that is not yet to be. Now, we can look at this and think, well, there are so many circumstances where we too think it's the end. Uh, yesterday, somebody was talking about um, the inauguration of the Chinese church in Bordeaux. 
And they were looking back to 40 years ago, they said, when they used to pray for Christians in China who were being persecuted. Um, Chinese Christians sometimes know great uh, difficulty. But in the 1950s, it was so much worse. In the 1950s, all outside Christian workers in China were expelled. All the missionaries were told, you go home. There's no place in China for you. And uh, there fell what was known as the bamboo curtain. Yeah? And China became pretty closed off, really, to the rest of the world. Uh, during that time, lots of missionaries who had been working in China went to work in other countries in Southeast Asia. The China Inland Mission became the Overseas Missionary Fellowship because they couldn't work in China anymore. And so they worked in Japan and in the Philippines and in uh, other Southeast Asian countries. Uh, and there was no news coming out of China. Then China begins to open up. And what do we see? We see there are more Christians in China now than there are in the whole of, of Europe. The church in China grew amazingly during those years. Because it isn't missionaries that churches need in order to grow. It's, it's the blessing of God. It's faith in God. And uh, the church is such that the more you persecute the church and the more you put pressure on the church, the more the church grows strong in God and the more the church grows. Uh, and so 1950s China shows us what God can do in a situation that looks to us like the end. Very often the end, it's really the beginning. Um, to bring it more um, to our day, I've got a quote here talking about um, what's happened in countries like Syria, okay, following the Arab Spring. Uh, and I'll just read the quote to you. I have many Arab Christian friends. It's from a man called Christopher Wright. I have many Arab Christian friends who live in that region. I wrote to one of them to ask exactly those questions. I wondered in my email if perhaps in 50 years' time we would be able to look back and see that God was at work even in the midst of the persecution, just as in China. One of my friends wrote back to say this. I believe that we, as Arab Christians, do not need to wait 50 years or so to see that God is at work. What is actually taking place in the Middle East and North Africa, in the midst of the tragedies of the so-called Arab Spring, is really beyond belief. Please let me share with you some examples. There has never been a serious attempt to reach out to Muslims who lived in the strict and fundamentalist areas of Syria. That was almost impossible to do by Syrian Christians due to many religious and political factors. But now, with over one million refugees, most of them coming from those areas, the church in Lebanon has been able to reach out to them with a gospel message. Not long ago, I preached in a church in a town not far from the border with Syria, where 80% of the audience were Muslims, and some 30% of them have already committed their lives to Jesus Christ. One lady told my wife, the most amazing thing that happened to us was not escaping the death and destruction in our city in Syria, but finding the Messiah Jesus, who's changed our minds and hearts. Yeah? So, don't ever think when a situation is hard 
it's the end. Sometimes the end is the beginning. Sometimes God closes a chapter so that he can begin something much more glorious. And we can't second guess God, can we? We can never know really what God is doing in a situation. But we can always trust him. Okay? We can always trust him. Okay, we move on. The other thing we see in, in Daniel is we see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, hang on, Alan, um, this is Daniel. You know Daniel, you've just said to us it happens uh, about 600 years before the Lord Jesus Christ is even born. So how can you tell us that we see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in Daniel? Well, we see Jesus in many ways in Daniel. We see him in, in lots of different ways. Sometimes Daniel speaks of Jesus. And he speaks of Jesus in different kinds of ways. For example, um, in chapter 2, we will we'll read of a stone. Uh, Silvan will tell us, I think, about a stone that comes and smashes a statue. And this stone represents a kingdom that will never be destroyed. What are we seeing there? We're seeing the Lord Jesus Christ coming to build his church. Uh, in chapter 3, three young men are thrown into um, a, a, a furnace. They're thrown in to be burned alive. But when the people look on, what do they see? They see four men. And they say, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. They can't identify this fourth man. When they take all the men out, there are only three. What is happening? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is present with his people. Uh, in chapter 7, again, we read about this son of man who uh, sits at the right hand of God in the clouds of majesty. But also, we see Jesus in a different kind of way as well. Oh yeah, before, we, before I go on to that, we'll go back a bit. Go back if we can. Yeah. No. Further? Uh, forward. And again. There we are. What I want to say about that is, right? People sometimes say, can we talk of Jesus in the Old Testament? Because uh, there's the eternal Son of God, isn't there? There's, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eternally. Always was. Always will be. Before there was an always there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But can we speak of Jesus before the incarnation? Because surely the baby who is born is Jesus. And of course that's true. And if you're going to be kind of pedantic, I suppose we do have to talk about the Son in the Old Testament rather than Jesus. But I want to suggest this to you. And it's, it's a, an emotive way of looking at it rather than an intellectual way. But I just want to suggest this to you. You know, um, I quoted a couple of weeks ago how the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it's in Luke 24, I think, he says, I've eagerly desired to share this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Yeah? It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? He says, I've, I've been so eager, I, I've been really looking forward to sharing this Passover meal with you before I suffer. I, I've longed for it to come. Well, I wonder whether a good way to look at these um, appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament is that he so loves his people, he's so keen to be with us, 
that he just can't wait for the incarnation. He has to come before. And so he comes. And he comes sometimes uh, in disguise, almost. He comes as the angel of the Lord. He comes as a warrior. He comes um, as a man in a furnace. He comes as uh, the one sitting on the clouds of heaven, seen in a vision. But he has to be with his people. He just loves us so much. He can't wait to be born in Bethlehem. He just needs to come. And so he comes to strengthen and to help his people. He loves us so much. But there's another way in which we see um, Jesus in Daniel. We can go on again now. And that's this. Someone asked me a question this week. They said, you know when um, in Deuteronomy 18, I think it is, you know when Moses says, God will give you another prophet like me and you must listen to him. Is God saying that he will send a, a string of prophets or is he talking about Jesus? I thought this is a wonderful question. It's a marvellous question because the answer is yes. Well, it is really, isn't it? Because God will send another string of prophets but none of them will be up to the match of Moses, you know? None of them will achieve what Moses did. But the people must listen to that prophet when he comes, because he comes from God. But none of them is the match of Moses. There's never another prophet like Moses. And so every prophet speaks from God, but leaves a sense of disappointment somehow. Maybe that's too strong, but anticlimax, you know? Surely that isn't the prophet who is to come. Surely that isn't the prophet who is to come. Isaiah, beautiful um, writing. But he doesn't do what Moses did. He doesn't free the people. Uh, surely that isn't the prophet who is to come. Hosea, surely that isn't the prophet who is to come. Elijah, marvellous prophet. But surely that isn't the prophet who is to come. And Elijah, I think, himself felt this, you know. Um, marvellous victory on Mount Carmel. But afterwards... Uh, the queen threatens his life and he's on the run and he's hiding from the queen. And um, you think, he's not Moses, is he? He's not Moses. He's not um, uh, up to the level of Moses. And he says, take my life, Lord. I'm no better than my father's. Uh, and there's a sense of, of anticlimax in his mind too. And, and that anticlimax is there to tell us no because the real prophet has not yet come. Because that real prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. Every prophet is like, it's like an amuse-bouche. Yeah? Uh, you know the amuse-bouche or the apéro, uh, the sheep uh, that we eat before a meal. They're not designed to take the edge off your hunger. They're designed to give your, your hunger more edge. You know, the, you eat the amuse-bouche. And you think, oh, that tastes so good. I really want my meal now. And the prophet comes and you think, whoa, he really told us some amazing things. But I really want that prophet now. And, and all the um, offices in Israel were like that. The kings, you know, there were some terrible kings, weren't there? But there were some wonderful kings too. Uh, but none of them was really uh, what they should have been. Why? Because the real king is the Lord Jesus Christ. The real prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. The real priest who takes away sin is the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah? And so Daniel, he's a picture to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we see Daniel, we see a little, a little reflection of Jesus. 
Why? Because he is a prophet. He's a faithful man of God. He stands uh, amidst um, suffering, um, uh, when there's uh, opposition, uh, when people uh, mock him and, and try to drag him down. He stands, and he's such a good picture of Jesus. He will walk into the lion's den. He's such a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's not perfect. He's not sufficient. He has a vision that he himself doesn't understand. He says, Lord, I I don't understand what you're telling me. Uh, He's not all-knowing. He's not the prophet, priest, and king. But he points us to him. Yeah? It's like they went to John the Baptist and said, "Uh, are, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He's a signpost. That's what he is. And the thing about Daniel is, yeah, he's a wonderful signpost that points us to Jesus. And in a way, he helps us to understand that that's our role too. Yeah? Uh, You can't be a Messiah for anyone. You can't save anyone. You're not sufficient. You can't save the world. You can't carry the weight of the world. You can't do that. All you can do is point the world the way to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah? And that's what Daniel does for us. And Daniel reminds us that Jesus loves us too. He loves you so much that he will be with you in the cycles that unfold uh, in in our world. Uh, In the crises that those those cycles provoke in our lives. uh, In the difficulties that we get into. In the situations that we, we find difficult to face up to. The Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. And he is able to make us stand. So that kings and emperors come and go. But, but we are able to stand firm. Even young people like us. We can stand firm for decades. By the same secret that Daniel had. And it's not, um, it's not either looking to God to miraculously um, sustain us despite our vegetarian diet. Or the secret of adopting a vegetarian diet. Because that is what will make us like Daniel. Uh, it isn't that at all. It's trusting Daniel's God. Trusting Daniel's God. We have the same God who is able to make us stand too. I was just trying to think... Um, as we close, about um, how quickly regimes change. Uh, Pat and I, we've been in France now for 13 years. When we came, uh, Sarkozy had just become president. Um, after, after Nicolas Sarkozy, there was who? There was François Hollande. And then straight after Hollande, we have uh, Emmanuel Macron. Okay, so we've only had three, Yeah. But 13 years and we've had three presidents. You know, I was born in 1959 and um, I might die before the Queen. I'm starting to think that maybe I won't (laughs) see a change of regime in Britain. And you know, some countries are like that. Some countries it changes a lot and some countries it changes really slowly. Um, But whatever the situation, God is able to make us stand. Yeah? Things rise, things fall. Crises come, crises go. Uh, situations arise, situations are resolved. But God is faithful and we can always trust him. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that in a, a changing world, which really doesn't change at all, because nations just continue the patterns that nations have always done. We thank you that there is a people uh, that is different because they know you, the living God. And we thank you that you call us to belong to that people through the Lord Jesus Christ, through your Son. Help us then, we pray, to stand firm and to trust you. Uh, we hear that word that you spoke uh, through Isaiah. If you will not stand firm by faith, you won't stand firm at all. And so we commit ourselves to trust you and so to stand firm in the ups and downs, in the cycles of, of this world as things uh, develop and as things uh, collapse. We commit ourselves to you, the God who is always there and always able to make us stand. Help us then, we pray, to understand and to see. Give us insight into these things, we pray, and make us different because we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.